0: sleepcoolnow.com 1212.
1: Number two of our weekly World According to Zig podcast. My name is John Ziegler. I am the host of this program. where We talk about the news of the week and the events of my often bizarre life and where we provide you with a full two hour oasis of honesty and rationality in the desert of insanity and deceit, which is the American media, cultural and political landscape. And hour number two, generally, that's where we do our weekly interview. And that is the case this week. Very excited. To speak with a guy who I've never talked to before, but uh, I've had a lot of communication with and uh, I have a lot of admiration for. And our experiences have been incredibly similar in the era of Trump. His name is Charlie Sykes. He is a longtime radio talk show host out of Wisconsin who has gotten a lot of national publicity, including a, a feature story in the L.A. Times here in Southern California this week for the fact that he has left talk radio at least on a daily basis, in part because of the Trump phenomenon and had an interesting experience with Donald Trump during the campaign. Charlie Sykes, welcome to the podcast.
2: Well, it is my pleasure, John.
1: (laughs) All right, so much to talk about. And so let's give people the background here. Um, Let's start. uh, Well, first of all, give people a sense of your career in Wisconsin as a talk show host and why you got into the business and and how you think maybe the business has changed leading up to Trump.
2: Well, you know, I was I was on the air for 23 years, so that's probably a longer story than you actually want to hear. I'm um, uh, actually a recovering print journalist, former newspaper reporter and magazine editor, and spent some time writing books and kind of backed into radio, doing some fill-in, but began to enjoy the conversation and really got going about the time that the uh, conservative revolution i think was uh, was picking up momentum back in the in the mid 1990s with uh, the takeover of congress and uh, contract with america and so uh, for many years uh, i was on the air in in wisconsin watching as the conservative movement uh, was was growing and of course uh, you're familiar with the story of what happened here in wisconsin we We kind of decisively turned the state from uh, blue to red back in 2010, uh, saw the rise of Paul Ryan, Scott Walker. We elected a United States senator. Um, And and all of that was was really an extraordinary experience. And I was really, uh, uh, like you, John, I think I was uh, under the impression that the, the conservative movement was about ideas. It was about principle. It was about freedom and liberty and limited government. And then along came this campaign. And, and uh, that was that was quite an awakening.
1: Yeah, and and I want to talk about a number of aspects of this, but I think you've hit on maybe the biggest question is is to whether or not things suddenly changed, or whether or not we just didn't realize what the reality was all along. Before we get into the, you know, since we're there, why don't we talk about that now? What do you think it is? Do you do you think are you in the boat of this was always the case, and we just never realized it, or did something change? dramatically overnight?
2: Well, you know, that, that's the key question. And, you know, uh, that's I've been working on, on the, the book, which is titled, You Know, How the Right Lost Its Mind. And, and I, I started off with the thesis that there had that this was a black swan event, that suddenly this thing had exploded on us. But uh, I don't think I can sustain that, that thesis. I, I think that you had a lot of things that were latent, that were out there, A lot of uh, a lot of folks, a lot of uh, aspects of our movement that I think that we had turned a blind eye to, that we figured that there were certain people who were the drunk at the end of the bar that we could kind of ignore, because of course rational people would always (laughs) would always rise to the occasion, and until they didn't. So I think that that what you have done is you've asked the exact correct question, and um, I think I think the answer is, is 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 complicated.
1: Well. I actually am in the boat of, you know what, this was always the case. Yeah. And, and we just never really realized it because there was never an outlet for these people to have their voice be heard. One, because social media wasn't as prominent, and two, because they didn't have a candidate like Trump. Uh, to excite them and uh, and all the rest that came with that. Let's let's go through the specifics, though. Maybe we'll revisit that at, at the end of this mm-hmm. conversation because your experience in this campaign is fascinating to me. You you came to my attention, and I'm sure a lot of people's attention, mm-hmm. uh, when you actually had Trump on your show.
2: Yeah,
1: and I'm curious, uh, how did that happen? Because you had been a Trump critic in Wisconsin. The Wisconsin primary was was coming up. At that point, Trump was the heavy favorite to win the nomination, but it wasn't 100% a, a fait accompli. And, and you would think that tr- Trump, especially you know, used to his treatment that he gets with uh, Sean Hannity and Bill O'Reilly and his buddies in New York, you would think that he would be very hesitant to, to ever walk into a potential snake pit. And yet he did, right. with, he did with you and you embarrassed him. Give us the background on, on how that transpired.
2: Yeah, that was, that, was, uh, that was at the end of March, and that was actually kind of late in the game, as you point out, because, I mean, I'll be honest, I'd been, I'd been anti-Trump. I'd been never Trump since the moment he came down that golden escalator. And I think anyone who would spent about 15 seconds looking at my Twitter feed would know where, uh, where I was coming from. So I really, and, 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 uh, along with other conservative talk show hosts here in Wisconsin, by the way, but had been, uh, been pounding him. He was extremely un, uh, unpopular among Republicans in Wisconsin at that point. Uh, so when I got the call the day before, actually it was Easter Sunday, and my producer said, how would you like to have Donald Trump on? And I thought he was joking, because why would he come on my show? Right. And I said, well, sure, fine. I, until the moment he actually came on the air, I did not expect that he was uh, going to call in. And the answer to your question, why would he do it? He had no idea. I asked him halfway through the conversation. I said, you know that I'm never Trump, and he did not know. Um, so, so you think this
1: was just a staff screw up?
2: I don't think. I think this campaign was always, at least at that point, was was always kind of this Potemkin village where there there wasn't much there wasn't much of a staff going on. But they obviously made no attempt to vet me whatsoever. And and I and I, and I will, by the way, I will give him credit. I mean, he didn't hang up on me or anything. He you know it was it was a, it was a civil conversation, but. Um, I was I will tell you about that conversation the the thing that surprised me the most and I think you'll understand this is is that I didn't think I was that adversarial and that that it was late in the campaign and I think it spoke a lot to w- the way the media had been treating him with kid gloves that people actually thought that it was, you know, particularly adversarial because I assumed the questions I asked him were the questions that anyone would but he'd gotten all the way to the end of March of two thousand sixteen apparently with any without anybody actually taking it to him, which is really a really you know an indictment of the failure of the media
1: that's a great point I mean you are not a, in a very uh, aggressive guy you you come no. from you come from a print background uh, you know if 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 John Ziegler had gone after him you know then I can understand that that maybe uh there would have been some, some uh, cries of, wow, that was a little bit too much. But, you know, you your temperament uh, is very even keel and you're not out there. And yet uh, he had never faced even tepid uh, opposition in any sort of questioning, nothing that was remotely uh, aggressive. And as you said, at this point, he's basically the nominee. It's the end of March. It's prior to the Wisconsin primary and and even just a slight – confrontational interview created an enormous uproar and then of course he not only loses the Wisconsin primary he gets trounced yeah. now now what was your sense at that point i, I mean you you and others uh, were given uh, a great deal of credit for the fact that trump got trounced in wisconsin was it your sense that the audience at least locally there in wisconsin was responding positively to your anti-Trump view based upon the uh, primary
2: election results? Uh, yes, I, I, I do, and, and, and I think that here, here is one of the great questions, and I know you have written um, very extensively and very perceptively about w- the way the conservative media provided air cover for Donald Trump. So one of the fascinating questions would be, what if the you know conservative talkers and the rest of the conservative media had not rolled over for Donald Trump? You know, what if they had not provided him air cover? And Wisconsin, in a sense, was kind of a laboratory because all none of the talk show hosts in Wisconsin were pro trump so this was the one state where he didn't have uh, the on men chorus you know he didn't have the cheerleaders he didn't have the Sean Hanby fanboys on the air covering up for him or you know or, or, or pushing him, and he did horribly I mean he was his his approval rating was extremely low so this to me what happened in Wisconsin was an indication that that he was not inevitable, that if the conservative media would have pushed back against him, that he could have been stopped. But as it turned out, we were the outliers. And I had National Republicans uh, you know, telling me at the time, you know, things are very different outside of Wisconsin because, you know, you get outside of Wisconsin and talk radio is all behind Donald Trump. Wisconsin is very, very, very different in that respect.
1: And that's a really important point because, and you refer to it as air cover, and, and just by, you know, as we've already alluded to, Trump getting his feathers all ruffled by having even a remotely confrontational interview with you. Had that been the case from the beginning, I, I agree that I think history would have been very different. I don't know. To me, the key—I've often used the, the metaphor of Trump being a rocket ship. And once he got orbit— it was over because there's no stopping him at that point. But he, but if he had been stopped on takeoff, and it was it was the O'Reillys and the Hannitys and and even some other people, even Rush Limbaugh and Levin standing by and watching and going, "Wow, this is amazing," without really condemning it. Uh, it was that that takeoff that was so critical. Yet in Wisconsin, he didn't really get the same traction because of you and
2: other people. Uh, do you agree with that? By the way. Well, I, listen, uh, John. I, I not only agree with it; I actually quote you in my book saying that, because I think your analogy of you know the rocket is the most vulnerable on takeoff is exactly the right it's exactly the right analogy here. That if Rush Limbaugh in August of 2015 would have said, "Okay, folks, understand this guy is not a conservative. This guy represents the repudiation of uh, of, of the Reagan Revolution." Uh, things might have, I think they would have turned out very, very differently. But as we know, at about that point, Rush Limbaugh, for reasons best known to himself, um, made the pivot with the other folks and decided to drop people like Scott Walker and at least pretend to, uh, to take Donald Trump seriously.
1: Well, the Scott Walker thing to me, um, and I, I don't know whether or not he could have ended up winning the whole thing, but I, I'm, I'm in the boat that he would have been the perfect candidate to beat Hillary Clinton. And as it turns out, and I'm sure you've thought about this, and I'm, I'm curious if, if anyone near, you know, in the Scott Walker orbit has ever said anything to you about this. But when you look at the final map of the general election, that was Scott Walker's map. The, I mean, you know, it was Wisconsin, Iowa, Michigan, and, and then picking off, uh, you know, Ohio, Florida, and, and Pennsylvania. That was the way, that was the path for Scott Walker to beat Hillary Clinton. And we could have done this without the chaos, the insanity, the 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 leaving of our principles behind and and not have to uh, you know worry about getting to sleep every night because of the, the the nuttiness that is Donald Trump. Has anyone in Wisconsin or in Scott Walker's orbit thought about that?
2: Well, I'm, I'm sure they've thought about it many, many, many times. Um, but of course, everybody was playing that game of political chicken. Everybody, you know I, I, I think that one of, one of the things we learned about uh, American politics, was that if people think something is inconceivable they will never imagine it happening. I know that sounds funny but you know it's like okay we don't need to attack Donald Trump because there's no way he's going to get the nomination. Right. So let's sit back here and wait for somebody else to do it. So you know part of this whole story is watching the conservative movement in the Republican party to watch its failure of political courage, of principle, um the the real cynicism that led up to this because you know, as as we went into 2016, nobody in this party, including the uh, former um, Republican National Committee chairman, uh, ever imagined that this was remotely possible. So nobody actually did what they needed to do to make sure that uh, the Republican Party remained a conservative party.
1: Nobody stepped in front of the freight train because nobody Correct. nobody had the self interest to do so. And let's talk about that self interest because. In in the business that you were in and talk radio, and I've been in and talk radio, which is a business, and it's in my view, it's a business disguised as a cause, Uh, and and it, it makes its money from being portrayed and perceived as a cause, but it's actually a business, and that business is about getting people to listen who are willing to buy products. And I'm assuming after the primary, you're thinking, okay, everything's fine. From the business perspective on talk radio, at what point did you start to realize, Uh-oh, "Uh oh, people are are leaving me
2: here"? How did that happen? Well, you know this this is interesting because you know the audience was you know by and large very much you know with us you know up until the primary. As you point out, as you as we began getting toward the uh, uh, as we began getting toward the, the convention, um, I, I think the the uh, the gravitation I'm, I'm mixing metaphors here. The gravitational pull of <laughs> of American tribal politics uh, began to kick in and, you know, and more and more people began, it was, it was a longer process. Is that you have to come around. You know, he, he's the nominee. It's a, how many times did I get, you know, it was told you know, it's a binary choice It's a, you know, you, right. you, you have to go along with it. And, it. and at that point, what I realized was that, that people had certain expectations for conservative talk radio, that they really, that the right had decided that conservative talk radio was its safe space. And they didn't want to hear uh, negative things. They really felt that there was a moral and political obligation on the part of conservative talkers to tout Donald Trump, to fall into line. And so I, I really began to feel that I was going against the grain um, by going, okay, you know, remember all the things that we said about Donald Trump and how unfit he was to be president? Remember when we said this a few months ago, well, those things are all still true. Right. But it was very interesting watching the pivot uh, pivot among Republican conservative voters. Not, not all of them, of course, but, but many of them.
1: Well, Charlie, I- I'm curious, and this is the, one of those chicken-egg questions again, uh, but it's an important one. Do you – and I, my position on this has changed, which I'll, I'll explain in a second. Mm-hmm. Do you believe that the audience went with the hosts – or that the hosts saw the overnight TV ratings and the the uh, weekly or monthly ratings on radio and they went for the audience which which was the latter. You think it's no, the I, latter? I,
2: I, yeah, I mean obviously we were having a conversation about how you know the host had had you know, uh, enabled Trump but particularly after the convention, you know, um here in Wisconsin, we have we have like six major talk show hosts, and I think by the end, only two of us, maybe three, uh, were, were kind of holding the line. And it reminded me of that that story, you know, from the French Revolution where the leader says, you know, those are my people, I'm their leader, I have to go, I have, I have to chase them, um, <laughs> or, 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 or something like that. And and I realized, and I know that you experience this as well, that at some point for every talk show host, you realize, you know what, the audience is gone. you know, I I... I cannot continue viably to do this if i am crosswise with my audience so therefore you know when the audience when the audience moved and i don't know about how this applies to the, the, the national guys but particularly local guys i saw them go flip one after another to get back into sync with their audience
1: and so it's, just to be clear charlie so your it is your view based upon your experience in wisconsin that hosts uh who were not uh, pro-trump decided to become pro-Trump because they saw where their audience was going and they needed to make sure that they weren't outside the herd.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. It was extraordinary because at least two of the hosts in my own market were, were I would say, as strongly anti-Trump as I was. I mean, call them a buffoon, call them anything. By August, they were 100% behind Trump and they were denouncing anyone that was not on board. And you knew that what they were doing, was, well, you know, look, here's, here's human nature and for, your, for your listeners. You know, who likes to wake up every morning, you know, and have, and have 100 emails telling you I'm never listening to you again and, you know, see your social media line filled up with people saying, you know, you're a sellout, you're trying to elect Hillary. Uh, it was a very uncomfortable, and I know you've written about this, uncomfortable position for anybody in the conservative media not to be for Donald Trump in the fall and I would say the vast majority of hosts rolled over, just basically acknowledged what was going on, and figured, you know, in order for my business to remain viable, I need to, I need to, you know, chase after my my people because I am their leader.
1: Well, there's another word for that, isn't there? It's, it's I think it's uh, prostitution, isn't it?
2: Well, you know, the funny thing about this is, of course. Those of us that didn't get on board were constantly being accused that we were the sellouts, which I, which I found to be highly ironic. You know, we're the sellouts when when we're watching what you know what is what is going on. But I guess this this is what is disappointing. And you know, you have written extensively and, and perceptively about talk radio being a business, um, being a, a cause. What is it, 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 it? It's a it's a business masquerading as a cause. Here's where I'm naive uh, and, and and what I miss. I actually was under the impression that most of these people believed what they said. I, really, I mean, I, I know it, it seems foolish in retrospect. That's funny. But I I really believed that this was a principled movement um, and, and that it was driven by, by ideas. So, you know, part of this year was it was a very disillusioning slog. It was demoralizing and it was very disillusioning watching so many conservatives, who basically were exposed for being more interested in power than in ideas.
1: So, so we go through the uh, the general election campaign, and uh, it, I forget exactly what, at what point did you decide? You know what? I can't do
2: this anymore. Moment he came down the golden escalator. I. Oh, you mean? I mean, I left it. Oh, I. Well, um, leaving my radio show. Actually, I had decided a long time before that I was going to leave. Um, it really like a year a year before for a variety of reasons, but I, I want to make it also clear that what happened during the campaign made that decision much much easier. Yay. It was, and part of it was to be a conservative talk show host in this in this era. You're going to be constantly butting up against this, and I I have not gotten up a single day since January 20th and regretted not having to be on the air to. Defend or rationalize or enable things that are going on, even when there are things that I that I agree with. So there was never one moment where right. I said I can't do this anymore because of Donald Trump, but it made it much easier.
1: Understood. So when Election Day came, and you know, you you and your your cohorts there, and what happened in the primary in Wisconsin was a big part of the reason why I never thought Trump had any shot at Wisconsin. Uh, and, and in fact, I've gone I've gone back. and and looked even after the election and looked at the pre-election polling, and I still can't believe he won Wisconsin. Uh, You know, I could understand him winning Pennsylvania. I could even understand Michigan because Hillary had done so poorly there in the Democratic primary. There's no enthusiasm for her there. But when you look at the primary results and how much Wisconsin seemingly hated Trump, how shocked were you when he ended up not just winning the election, but winning Wisconsin in particular?
2: Well, I was surprised. I did not see it coming. I, 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 had, the same, I had the same take, um, and what was interesting was that I was pretty sure that he was going to lose because in southeastern Wisconsin, you know, where, Milwaukee, where my radio show is, he was still uh, dramatically underperforming where Romney was. And so I was looking at the numbers, going, if he can't even hit Romney's numbers in, you know, the Republican stronghold areas, how is he going to win the state? And, and basically, you know, uh, three things happened. He did win in a lot of traditional Democratic areas in, in northern and in rural Wisconsin, blue-collar rural Wisconsin. He did extremely well in the Green Bay media market. But the decisive factor came, comes down to this. In Milwaukee County, which is the most Democratic county in the state, uh, Hillary Clinton um, got 30, more than 30,000 fewer votes than Barack Obama got. Right, right. She lost the state by 23,000 votes. The Democrats in the urban areas who turned out for obama just did not turn out for clinton and i'm not sure that anybody you know in retrospect we should have seen that but it was uh... it was the failure of the democrats to turn out that was decisive uh... but um... The donald trump did like he did throughout the the upper midwest he did well he did well in areas where frankly talk radio was not terribly influential in rural and uh, blue-collar wisconsin
1: Well, so now ever since then uh, the conservative media industrial complex has been almost not uh, not a hundred percent, but close to a hundred percent, basically state-run media, as I refer yep. to it. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, whatever Trump does is is right, and and when he does things, I'm curious if if Barack Obama, in an interview with with uh, a sympathetic interviewer before the Super Bowl, had ever equated the United States with Russia and and. Uh, and mitigated Putin being a murderer, and saying that the United States isn't innocent either. If Obama had ever said that before the Super Bowl, what would have been the reaction of the conservative media, specifically talk radio?
2: Oh, their hair would have been on fire, and you know, and I, I'm, I'm just fascinated by the way John to to, to hear the the elegant ways that uh, Rush Limbaugh is going to rationalize that tomorrow, uh, but. It 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 is amazing. Now, what I found fascinating was a lot of the folks before the election, who were saying, "Listen, you have to hold your nose. You have to vote for uh, Donald Trump. I don't necessarily like him, but but it's important to beat Hillary." These are now the ones who've made the pivot to, you know, we we must now defend your leader, you know, in every particular case. They had suggested that they were going to have a little bit of arms length independence, a little bit of skepticism about a Trump presidency. But as it turns out, um and your your phrases I I think it's fascinating. For years Rush has talk about the state run media. We are now about to find out what one actually looks like. Right.
1: No, and it's and it's our guys. It's the guys it's that our, yeah. it's the guys that we looked up to, the guys that we were on the same stations with, uh and, and guys who we thought were mostly principal. Now I'm I was never naive enough to think that it was all about principle.
2: But but yeah. but,
1: but but Charlie even Even I was stunned by the extent and the the obviousness with which this sellout transpired. And it and it's all about ratings. I mean, it was 100 percent about ratings. If Trump doesn't bring ratings, there's not a chance in the world that uh, that any of this occurs with regard to the conservative news media. I'm curious what you think, though, Charlie, about the audience. Because in the end, it's the audience that matters. And I have um, lost an enormous amount of respect for the so-called conservative audience. Uh, I I think these people – I used to really believe that the average conservative and the average talk radio listener – now, there's nut jobs in every – Element of life, but I used to think that though the average talk radio listener was more well informed, more intelligent, more rational than the average liberal out there, I no longer believe that. I think I think if anything, they're nuttier and dumber uh, than. Oh, uh, I'm, I'm yeah. curious what your assessment is of the of the average conservative talk radio listener after your experience.
2: You, you, you know, it, it's funny you should say that because I, I have a piece in the paper this morning where I, I'm talking about. Um, that you know, for years I really thought that we were creating this, you know, much savvier, more well-informed audience. Exactly. You know, I thought they were more dialed in, and and it's and it's hard to feel that way these days because you know, let me answer it a different way. As bad as the fake news problem is, the the, the problem of. Our gullible audience—the fact that our audience believed it or wanted to believe it—was a much more serious problem. And I know it is impolitic. I know that we're never supposed to say this, but I, I, yes, our audience was over the years dumbed down. They were softened up. They—they they, it, tur- it turned out that they were easily misled when Donald Trump came along, and that was not at all what I thought we were doing over those years. Now, again. I can certainly imagine folks on the outside saying how naive we, we must be. Well, of course, you know, shouldn't you have understood that we were telling you this all along? But um, yeah, it's 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 hard it's hard to separate this out that you had voters who were willing. Well, I mean, pretty, you know, in in, in a post truth world, mm-hmm. what we have is I think a lot of voters who simply. Um, want to stay within their bubbles. They want to stay within these alternative reality silos. And when they are exposed to different facts or ideas, they push back. And so it's, it, it's hard to have the same level of respect that, that I had for 20 years. So I, I'm 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 with you on this.
1: <laughs> well, the, the bubble thing is one of my pet peeves, uh, and it's funny that we're talking about this on Super Bowl Sunday, which is one of the very rare moments in American life where we're, we're where everyone's in the same bubble, or most people are in the same right. bubble. Um, but about the it, only one. But but by and large, by and large, the job of a radio talk show host or a TV talk show host now is to make your core audience. Feel good about what it is they want to believe about any particular news story. You agree with that?
2: Yeah, that's the, those are the P ones. The uh, the uh, your hardcore listeners. Yes, exactly. And um, when and this is what I was referring to the safe space. Um, people do not tune in because they want to have those premises challenged. They no. don't want to tune in to uh, you know be uh, hear uncomfortable realities. Um, or certainly to be chastised for believing something that is in fact untrue or or grossly unfair. So yes, you're right. Truth truth has
1: zero to do with any of this, right?
2: Well, I <laughs> not, not anymore apparently.
1: Well, see see I used to think that part of why talk radio existed. And, and then evolved into cable news and, and Fox News Channel was to be a check on the mainstream news media. Because yes. the, the mainstream news media, as you know, incredibly liberally biased. And um, it, it, it sickened, one, one of the many aspects that sickens me about this whole Trump phenomenon is that of all the people to eventually benefit from this real media bias, this insidious real mm-hmm. media bias... For Donald Trump to be that person who finally benefits, I've made the analogy that that's like O.J Simpson being the guy who finally benefits from decades of LAPD racism uh, it, it, I mean it makes yeah. no it makes no sense at all it's completely unjust and and it frankly pisses me off uh and and yet we we help train people into we basically set Donald Trump up to be able to do this, didn't we?
2: Well this is this and but this is the balancing point here is, is that and, and I I have a lot of conversations with people in the media and, and I say look I'm I'm willing to admit that yes we you know you know we attacked in, uh, the media and we, we 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 highlighted the the bias and the double standards and you know we contributed to delegitimizing all these sources but you folks in the media you also set the plate for all of this you know yes. for years you know, guys like us we're telling you, don't you understand, we're seeing how biased you are. We're recognizing this. And the media in general was so arrogant, was so insular that they rejected uh, they rejected the criticism even when public opinion polls for years were showing that the public the public support and trust was was going down. And now they're reaping the whirlwind. But yes, you're right, you know, um and I certainly did this on my show, you know, it was a major staple of the show, pointing out Look how the media is covering it. Imagine if this had been a Democrat, you know, the, the, the double standards, um, the overt bias, which seemed to be getting worse over time. And as a result of this, you had an alternative media that could have played an incredibly important, positive role for being the other side of the story. And then in the last couple of years, it morphed into um, what we have today.
1: And now they have no credibility. When they're trying to take out a potentially really dangerous presidential candidate, and Donald Trump, and and uh, Trump understood that I think, and by the way, is is festering or fostering that as president even more so. He he wants to make sure that his base, like a like a cult. Doesn't pay any attention to anybody else but Fox News, Drudge Report, and Fo- and talk radio. That's where you yeah. get your approved information from. Anything else, you're not to believe it. It's fake news uh, because you know they don't like me and they're out to to get me because they know that I'm trying to make America great again. That's very effective to the cult members.
2: Uh, but it, it's, is, it is it is extremely effective, and I actually don't know what you, maybe what, what you think about this. I, I I've been speculating with some folks. If um, if Watergate had taken place and if Nixon had had the kind of media ecosystem that Trump has right now, I actually think you could make the case that he would have survived it. Absolutely, that you're getting to a point where, where where none of this stuff penetrates, where the the moral, legal, ethical standards will flip depending on you know um, basically who who is who is hurt and who is helped.
1: Charlie, it's hundred percent true, and I've yeah. been making this argument now. Uh, ever since his inaugural speech, when it made it, he made it clear. He the the strategy here is placate the base at all costs because as long as he holds on to about forty percent, he can't be touched because he has he's basically a suicide bomber on the Republican Party because no one will will. Buck him, no one will ever even think about impeachment if, if, if something occurs that warrants that because they know they'll be destroyed as Republicans. So as long as he holds on to the base, he can do whatever he wants. He doesn't care about the other 60 percent. And, and that 40 percent or thereabouts is in a protective bubble. They don't have any respect for, for any of the information that's coming from outside of the approved sources. And so I think he's going to govern with a 40% minority, and I think it's going to be fine for him. Now, whether that means re-election or not, I don't know. But, you know, that's a completely different set of issues. But but I think, you know, assuming, assuming he doesn't burn out psychologically, he's untouchable for the next four years. He can do whatever he wants.
2: And well, he thinks so. I, I, mm-hmm. No, I, I agree. And the implications for American democracy, the rule of law, the constraint on the executive are, are profound. Not to mention the moral cost, the moral, ethical, intellectual cost for people that we thought were our allies, the, the pretzeling that they're going to have to do, the, the mental pretzels, the, um, the, you know, the extent to which they, they'll have to sell out of their principles, uh, the number of times they have to swallow and you know, believe something that they rejected the day before. I mean, this, this, the, the cost, the moral, intellectual, political cost for this is incalculable.
1: And, by the way, that's the best-case scenario because I, I continually struggle with oh, do we root for him to succeed or not? Because I'm not sure which is worse. I mean, Grant, in the short run, it's good for the country if he succeeds. And, I, and, I, and I'm glad he, you know, he he nominated Neil Gorsuch, who I think is Wonderful. going to be fantastic. Uh, but, but if he succeeds, I wonder if the implications are even greater not just forget about conservatism conservatism is dead at this point as far as I'm concerned I'm talking about for the country if this if this brand of of politics and governance succeeds then I don't know where this stops in uh, short of totalitarianism I really don't not I'm not talking about him being you know the so-called Hitler that, that the left always overplays Correct. their hands on I'm talking about what he leads to and that 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 is what really Uh, Scares me, and I I, and you know you you've stated it so very very well. Last question for you, Charlie. I'm I'm curious. (laughs) We talk about the media and the liberal media bias. Have you? I'm sure you have found it uh, rather amusing that mainstream liberal publications, like for instance the L.A. Times, which just did a a major Mm -hmm. feature on you, uh, is suddenly giving you a lot more credibility and attention than they probably ever would have. Uh, before before this this whole Donald Trump thing happened, because now now they see uh, people like you a- a- as an ally in their anti-Trump crusade. Uh, give us your evaluation of that phenomenon.
2: Well, you know what? There's there's there, there's no way to deny that it's what, what uh, conservatives have always called that that strange new respect. Suddenly you have the strange new respect? Hmm. You know, your IQ has gone up by a hundred points now that the right. <laughs> the liberal media finds you to be useful. And, and I am completely aware of this. I'm, a, I, as you know, I'm a contributor of, uh, at, at at MSNBC. You talk about strange world. Um, but I'm under no illusions about why I'm there. I'm under no illusions, what whatsoever. Um, but you, you know, and, and and you know, and I understand how people go. Well, you well, know, Sykes, you must be selling out because now, you know, you get uh, coverage or you're you're in the, uh, you're in the MSNBC or the New York Times or the LA Times, and and I understand how they feel that way. Um, but it also is kind of an it it is it is a sign that that bias on the part of of the media is still there because you know like I was telling my wife I said you yeah, know 5 minutes ago I'm this right wing yacker you know, and now suddenly I have these really deep, profound and important thoughts. How did that how, how did that happen? <laughs>
1: I'm sure I'm sure your wife never thought you had very profound thoughts. Right. I, I know no. my, my <laughs> wife doesn't. That's for sure. All right. Uh, Charlie, by the way, uh, when does the uh, book How the Right Lost Its Mind come out? Uh, October. That's fan- fantastic. Looking yeah. forward to it and uh, hope to talk to you again soon. And, and, and we're, we're glad you exist. Thanks for fighting the fight.
2: Well, thank you. And you keep up the good work, too, John.
1: All right. Thanks so much. That's uh, Charlie okay. Sykes, all right. All right. Uh, whose book, uh, How the Right Lost Its Mind, will be coming out in October. Uh, some final thoughts here before uh, we uh, close up shop for this week on the World According to Zig podcast. There's another column that I wrote for Mediate, which I want you to check out at freespeechbroadcasting.com, where you can find all All of the hours, many, many, many many hours of this show and this podcast back when it was a nationally syndicated radio show and here in 2017 as it's turned into a two-hour weekly podcast, Uh, all of that's at freespeechbroadcasting.com. But one of the columns that you can read there uh, is about the uh, Berkeley riots that occurred this week because Breitbart writer, Milo, as he's most well-known, since no one can pronounce his last name, uh, but he is a, um, a fake, blonde, uh, openly gay conservative, calls himself a faggot, uh, all because he's trying to provoke people. He was scheduled to speak at Cal Berkeley, and all hell broke loose on live television. And uh, I, no question this was, you could call this a riot, Uh, It it was um, spectacular pictures on television because of the broken uh, windows and fire and all sorts of stuff that the news news media loves. Uh, The event itself, uh, or the performance, (laughs) Berkeley actually referred to it as a performance in their tweet announcing that it would be canceled, which I thought was particularly interesting and appropriate because that's what Milo does. He's a performance artist. He's much like what Charlie and I were talking about even though he doesn't do talk radio, internet is basically the same thing because you're getting a daily audience of how many clicks, how many views, how many shares and all that kind of stuff. So for Milo, he's performing. It's an act. Now, maybe he really does believe some or most of this stuff, but he's doing whatever will be best for him on that day to get the most click, most attention. He now has a book contract. So now, you know, by the way, apparently orders for his book, Sword After the Riots. Gee, good job, liberals. Well done. That, would, that really worked out well. Milo's really, really upset. He's really broken up about the fact that he got a ton of national publicity. He got on Fox News Channel, on uh, Tucker Carlson's show, uh, his book sales soared. And you gave him the moral high ground because you're the ones that ended up rioting. So instead of the story being no one shows up for you know, a hate-filled Milo speech, which is how the news media would have portrayed it, instead it's free speech is dead at Cal Berkeley because liberals ended up uh, rioting over somebody who hadn't even gotten a chance to speak. This is emblematic of something that happens so often in this day and age, where martyrdom is actually good for business. And I've experienced this myself. I got arrested at USC, wasn't the plan, uh, back in uh, 2009 when my Media Malpractice movie had come out because I was protesting a a Katie Couric event where she was getting an award for her Sarah Palin interview, a journalism award for her Sarah, Sarah Palin interview, and its quote, impact on the election. The Walter Cronkite Award, as a matter of fact. I got arrested. I went on Fox News Channel. The pictures are horrible, by the way. you should google them they're rather hilarious. in fact, I couldn't stop laughing i i I was so shocked that was was occurring that I started laughing this weird, scary laugh, uh, long story short, though, in a much smaller way than what happened with Milo this week. So I go on Fox News Channel and guess what? We sold a bunch of DVDs, so you know. W- w- well, no big problem for me. I mean, it worked out great for me. I'm Not, not fantastically. And it, again, it wasn't the plan. I wish I was smart enough to have that, that be the plan, but I'm not. Now, some are claiming that Milo was smart enough to have this as the plan, which is just, you know. It's just flat out ridiculous. The reality is, as I've written about in the column, conservatives do not do riots and protests. Now, is it possible that there was some other group that was taking advantage of these protests and wanted to cause chaos, some anarchist group, maybe a couple of people, because that's all it really takes with a big crowd, a couple of people do something crazy, and then you know one thing leads to another. Is that possible? Yes. But was there an organized, fake protest-slash-riot that was created in order to uh, facilitate this kind of publicity for Milo and to make the liberals look bad and make Cal Berkeley look bad? No, no, and the, the reason why I know this again goes to my panel experience <laughs> because I was stupid enough when uh, David Letterman made some very inappropriate rape jokes about Sarah Palin's teenage daughter. I was supposedly leading this protest in New York City uh, when, um, uh, in front of David Letterman's studio, and I knew this was a bad idea. I mean, I live in California, I'm gonna come across the country. To lead this protest. But again, I felt like it was the right thing to do. People were asking me to do it. Incredibly long story short, you, you, you should always listen to your gun instincts in these situations. Because I, I knew conservatives are terrible at this kind of stuff. It's, it's the middle of Manhattan, in the middle of a work day. Who the hell is going to come out to protest David Letterman on behalf of Sarah Palin? even though it was getting a huge amount of publicity. And by the way, I had gone on Fox News Channel with Megyn Kelly to discuss the protest. So it wasn't like we weren't getting any publicity surrounding this thing. And sure enough, partially because uh, as I was flying across the country, literally, as I was flying across the country, Sarah Palin was accepting David Letterman's apology. Thanks for telling me, Sarah. Really appreciate that. Uh, that, that really pissed me off. But so that, that did not help. But I don't think that was the reason why basically nobody showed up for this protest. In fact, the only people that did were media and hecklers. There were far more media and hecklers than there were protesters. It was one of the most humiliating experiences of my entire life. And frankly, I've had a lot of very humiliating experiences. So this was really bad. The point here is conservatives don't do this kind of thing. And if this kind of thing had happened, there would be evidence of it. There would be massive evidence of it. There would be email chains. There would be Craigslist ads. There would be vans or buses bringing people into a very difficult campus to get to at Cal Berkeley. There's none of that. And yet people on the left are laughably trying to claim, no, 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 this wasn't, these weren't left wingers. No, no, no. These these were, these were conservatives. This was a, this was a false flag. This was a fake uh, riot and protest. Bullshit. Bullshit. Milo got exactly what he wanted here. I'm no fan of Milo. Uh, but kudos for him for taking advantage of the stupidity and the hypocrisy of liberals on the left who no longer believe in free expression, academic diversity, or free speech, uh, because those concepts are dead. And by the way, (laughs) Donald Trump ain't going to help. And Milo, of course, is a Donald Trump supporter. Why? Because it's good for business. That's all that matters. It's all about the buck. It's all about publicity. It's all about your status within the media industrial complex, and it's not about the truth, and it's not about what's good for the country. On that happy note, that'll do it for hour number two of this week's edition of the World According to Zig podcast. Make sure you check out freespeechbroadcasting.com for all of my columns and previous hours. I ask only two things of you. If you like this, tell somebody about it. Share it on social media, Twitter, Facebook, what have you. Tag me. I'll I'll retweet it. I'll share it uh, as well. Appreciate you spreading the word because I do this for free and because I care about the truth and I care about the country. Second thing, if you're one of those people who sleeps and when you sleep, you actually use sheets, well, do yourself a favor and listen to this important message until next week. So long. I'm John
0: Ziegler. Coffee? Oh, thanks. How did you sleep? Like a baby. I don't want to get out of bed ever. These sheets are mm, incredibly soft. Performance fabric, huh? Maybe we should... Oh, I don't know. Try them out again. (laughs) (laughs) Comfort and performance for better sleep. That's Sheiks. S-H-E-E-X. Sheiks. Try Sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com,
2: promo code 1212. sleepcoolnow.com, 1212.